0: This is the Untamed Ethos Podcast. Join us as investment pros, executives, and other experts talk business, personal growth, investing, politics, and the trending topics well-rounded pros need to know about. Authentic, unfiltered, and fun. Joshua Wilson is the founder of United Ethos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of United Ethos's investment advice on this podcast, and nothing you'll hear on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. All opinions expressed by Joshua and by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of United Ethos or its
1: affiliates. Welcome back to Untamed Ethos. I'm Joshua Wilson, and today I have with me a special guest, Dr. Mary Beth Kuzmeski. I'll give her a chance in a minute to tell a bit about herself and her background, but I'm really excited about today's conversation because Mary Beth uh, and I share several passions, uh, including sports, uh, the wealth management industry, and of course, uh, an alma mater uh, at at Oklahoma State University uh, and the PhD program there. And uh, you know, Mary Beth has been uh, been a consultant in the, the Wealth management space, working with all different types of financial advisors for over 20 years. Uh, that went back to school uh, to to get her PhD uh, in marketing, and she comes from a wealth of background. And one of the things I think is very interesting about her is that she's continues to really push for the next level of what's coming next in marketing and. Yeah, and marketing is one of those things that you can go irrelevant fast. You take a couple of years off, and you are behind. And so, one of the things I love about uh, about you, Mary Beth, is you're always looking for the next thing and looking for what's going to make one irrelevant and what you got to do to stay relevant now. So, uh, welcome to the show, Doctor Kizmeski, and. Um, Give us a little. Tell me a little bit about yourself. The viewers who don't know you. Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll jump into marketing, modern marketing, uh, in the in the financial advisor world, and uh, a lot of things. I think will be very uh, very easy to take over to other other industries as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll give you the uh, short story, and that is that. Uh, I got my master's degree many years ago. And after I did that, I started my own marketing consulting firm. My fifth client happened to be a financial advisor. And this guy went from 10 million to 200 million in less than five years. And back then, that was a big deal. And it kind of put me on the map. And I didn't do anything extraordinary for this guy. But I put together a marketing plan. And he did the plan, which was basically niche based marketing, which still works today. And uh, he soared. And um, that led me to sort of being in the industry, uh, speaking all over the place, because if this guy could do it, then, you know, a lot of people could probably do it. So uh, all of a sudden, overnight, I had a financial services focused uh, marketing consulting firm. So that's kind of how it started. And I can tell you back to relevance and irrelevance. Uh, my first book that I wrote was in 2002. And that book today, if anyone ever found that book or saw that book, I would be embarrassed because it doesn't even have social media in it, right? Because back then there wasn't social media. You talk about marketing moving so fast. A, a entire book is irrelevant because a major marketing tool was not available back then. We had some of the same things that we're doing today in the book, but the book was called Red Zone Marketing and I'm pleased take it out of print. So I've written other books since then that have been more relevant, but marketing is one place where you got to really stay young and stay vibrant with what's happening today and what's actually working and thinking forward to, well, what's going to work tomorrow because we can't just live today. And financial advisors because of compliance are always a little bit behind in marketing because it takes compliance a little while to, to get going and saying, okay, it's okay to do these things, but it's still really important to be forward thinking. And and some of the top financial advisors in this space are, are really thinking forward about marketing and constantly also reinventing themselves?
1: Well, I think you know, the, the tendency is to want to say, well, I, I want to see what works. I, I want to make sure that this is tried and true and that it works and how does it work? How would it work for me? And I really want to see how it does for a while. You know, the very same thing that, uh, that advisors hate when clients say stuff like that to them. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years. What do you mean you want to wait and see for a while?
0: <laughs> or it's, it's it's buy high and, and sell, you know, low or vice versa. It's like, well, I'm going to wait till it's the hottest thing and then I'm going to do it. Well, you're too late. Then you're too late starting something really hot. Like if today you go, you know what? What I'm going to do today is I'm going to get a social media profile. Like you're behind the times.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, once that almost like once the market is is crowded and, and I think that's one of the things that we start asking ourselves at times like this is what are these spaces that are still ripe? And how do I tell when I look, when I look at social media and I see the things that people are doing and first off, does, can I assume that because I'm seeing them that this is successful in their business? Is this actually translating to new clients and new revenue, or is this just talking to our friends, other advisors, and looking like we're we're doing something and it's not actually translating? And I think that's one of the things we struggle with: is we don't want to put a lot of time into things just to talk to each just to talk to each other,
0: right? Or spend a lot of money because I've seen advisors who are on CNBC great PR agents, you know, they're they're really doing a great job. And then you ask, what's the translation to new business? It's, it's a little, can be a little foggy. And in this one case I'm thinking of, it was very foggy. And he's like, I'm spending all this money. I'm on CNBC. What's happening? Why am I not bringing in new business? Because we can't just have all of our eggs in one basket. We've got to be multi-channeled in marketing and financial services. And to this day, nothing works better than referrals. So you go, all right, well, then why are we talking about marketing strategies? Because everything impacts those referrals. If you've got a crappy website and a bad social media profile, and but you're getting a lot of referrals, guess what's not going to happen? You're not going to convert those referrals because they're still going to all those places to double check you and make sure that you're who they think you are.
1: Yeah, yeah the, those uh, those sorts of things can be tough, especially when you think about, um, you know, I hadn't even I, Hadn't even considered that part of the discussion yet. Is that some of these things aren't necessarily magnets, but they're kind of reference points,
0: credibility pieces sometimes. Yeah,
1: credibility pieces at, at, at times as well. And I think that you know we we want to see where the we can see the L on our P and L. Sometimes it's hard to see the P. Does this really? Where does this really tie? What what does this correspond to over here? Is this something that is table stakes that I have to have to just stay relevant and check the boxes that clients are looking to have checked when they Google me? Is that enough? Or should I actually uh, expect this to produce leads? And I think that this is a a great thing for this talk, (laughs) Uh, a great undercurrent is what are the fair expectations for the effort that we're putting in? I think that we typically want to put dollar in and get a dot two dollars out or something like that and we also at times um you know especially if we know if we if we have one a particular uh, form of marketing that works and we're used to seeing um you know i think the advisors that do seminars uh, it, it's very easy for them to kind of think about this because they spend x dollars getting people there x dollars um paying for the seminar and then they do the meetings and then they know that you know my numbers are if I can get seventy percent to get there, and then seventy percent of those show up for the meeting, and then seventy percent of those that show up close, and then here's the average revenue, and you know it starts making sense real quick of how long do I have to get the money back on this and the time, and with things like social media and a lot of the modern uh, marketing, it's really tough to kind of see. You know, I've, I've been doing this for a month and I've got nothing out of it and I posted every day for a month and got nothing out of it or you know uh, by the way we're not even talking about quality we're just talking about quantity and things like that so um, wh- where does one even begin to think about okay I've got a practice right now and I hear about uh, I hear about seminars I hear about buying leads online I hear about, These lead referral programs. I hear about centers of influence. I hear about, you know, there's Twitter and there's Facebook and there's, and there's all these other, and there's podcasts and there's all these different things that you can do at it. And you see someone that seems like they're being successful coming from every angle. How does one just start from the beginning and say, huh? Right. Well, Well, where do I start?
0: Well, the one thing is, and we've been doing, surveys all the way um, you know some research with financial advisors with practices of all sizes to figure out where is the business really coming from because again you can look at somebody and go oh well they look like they're really successful doing X but you don't really know and as marketing consultant, you know, we know what's working with our financial advisors, which are not the majority of the population of financial advisors. So we've been doing these um, these research studies to really dig deep into an advisor's practice. And then we dug even deeper. So we did the quantitative research and then we did the qualitative research. So the quantitative research says, and it we, we've been doing this for Well, we've been doing it for years, but we did it all the way through COVID because we expected that something was going to change during COVID, that somehow things were going to be altered in the way that a financial advisor markets in their local area, and their local practice um, area. But but in reality, before COVID, it was referrals without asking was the number one way of bringing in new business in a trust-based business like financial services. During COVID, it was the same thing. And after COVID, it's the same thing. So it's number one is referrals without asking, which means you must be doing a really good job with your service, with your performance, with, you know, your people, with the way that you are communicating and developing relationships and all of those kinds of things make you more referable. So, Okay, so that's number one. And that doesn't seem like much of a marketing strategy, although what's behind that is what we were talking about before, which is even if you get referred today, the people are going to go and look for you online. I mean, we we do that if we're buying a refrigerator. If I'm finding someone who's going to manage my life savings, I'm going to go check them out online. Right. And so we do that. The second thing that was the number one. Way of bringing a new business prior to COVID, in COVID, after COVID, was COI referrals and referrals when you're asking for them. So we're still dealing with referrals. And then the third thing changed during COVID virtual seminars, virtual client appreciation events, um, those started to work, but email has always been working. You know, we say, oh, email, nobody opens that stuff up anymore. They do, and it still works. And Ultimately, what we found is what works the most successfully is to build a funnel of not just one way that you're going to market, but multiple ways. So if you say, I'm going to sit around and wait until I get referrals. That doesn't seem like you're taking too much control over the situation. So it's always evaluating the service model, always evaluating the satisfaction and delight of your, of your clients. And it's, it's a constant process of doing that to make sure you're identifying if something is coming up. Um, then it's taking a look at, okay, so how are we doing with our online presence? Um, those are table stakes, as you mentioned before, your online presence, your your LinkedIn, all of that kind of stuff. And then you take it further and you start to work into this funnel where you're putting things out on social media that are interesting to the people that you are trying to target. So, you know, if you are interested in somebody who's getting ready to retire, that's kind of the, the kinds of information that you might post. But not just the retirement 101 stuff. What can you do to really stand out from the competition? And so it's a combination of so many things and you don't have to do it all and you don't have to spend a lot of money. And that's something that's absolutely, we have found that out over and over and over again, because an email strategy and having an email funnel um, is one of the most successful things you can do. You get somebody who's interested from a referral, from wherever it is, uh, and then you start to continue to reach out to them and communicate with them about things that you hope are important to them. And so it's really understanding who those prospects are, who those clients are that you're going to be communicating with. But it's not as easy as to say, it's just one thing, just do it. In the old days, it was seminars. Seminars was that, where you could just do seminars and never get a referral, and it worked. But those were transactional sales. Um, Those were a lot in the variable annuity and the annuity side. And they did work because they were compelling but um it's not necessarily the way that we're seeing the the market going moving forward
1: yeah and i I would i would also add to that is that model still works um and it still works for you know high commission items it's a lot harder to have that model work for a fee-only fiduciary um where you're not having these big chunks of commission coming up you know when you're if you're selling a annuity product and you're getting you know, an 8% commission off of that and, and your entire seminar is you know, five grand or even 10 grand, you sell one $200,000 ticket annuity and you've paid for the entire seminar and ev- everything else you do is, is gravy. And in the world of the fee-only fiduciary or at least even just fee-based, um, whether the fiduciary standard is always there or not. Um is very different um, pricing dynamics, and so you can't look at the, that price the same way. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned, um, you know, being refer referable, I guess. And so I'm going to slow down on, on on that one for a minute. I want to dig into that because a lot of advisors will say, "Well, I I, build my, I, I get referrals. I get referrals." Okay, well. <laughs> What does that mean, and how 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 is there a way to think of is this a healthy level of referral? Because I can I can ask ten different advisors, and all ten of them say that, that their biggest source of growth is referral, but that that can mean different things. Let's let's just say I've got an advisor that has one hundred million under management to give it a give it a, you know an, an easy number. One of them could be generating ten referrals a year, and one could be re- referring getting. Two referrals a year. One can be getting five referrals a month. Yet all of them told me the truth that their biggest source of growth was was referrals. And you know, of course, I can go to the, all these other questions: is it is it is it even referrals to the type of clients that you're best you know suited to serve, and and so on and so forth. But how can I gauge myself and say it's easy to say I'm growing by referrals? How how do I determine how if, if that's enough? Is that are, are they quality referrals or I'm not even sure how to best way to, to, to phrase this.
0: It's all about tracking what's actually happening because with referrals you can actually tell. Like if you're getting referrals and you've got three referrals in the last year um, and that allowed you to grow twenty percent okay, so those are good referrals probably, right? If you had 20 referrals and you grew 5%, that's not as great. So it's taking a look at what were the assets that were brought in in terms relative to the assets that you already have, and are they the right kind of clients? And so, um, you know, if you look at Sometimes advisors will break up their practice in A clients, B clients, C clients, D clients. How many, how many new A clients did you get? Because we consider that a real litmus test for your referability. Because if you're not getting those A clients, then there are things that we that we really have to do to prompt those referrals. And it's not about asking for referrals necessarily. It's about being referable and Allowing your clients to know your story in a way that they can tell somebody else because usually people don't want to talk about their money to somebody else. I go to my neighbor, I say, "Hey, you know, you should go see my financial advisor. He's really done." And you don't get into the details of your of your financial situation, right? It's a little bit different than talking about going to the dentist and saying, "Oh, wow, I had this root canal. Didn't even I didn't even feel anything. It was amazing, right?" Um, It's different with financial stuff because we just don't talk about that in the same way, and so. How do we allow our clients, our best clients who could be our best refers, to actually have a good story to tell? And a lot of times that goes to, well, can you even tell your own story? Because if you can't tell your own story, then your then your clients are saying, well, you should go see Josh. He's, he's real smart. Well, that may not be enough for them to, you know, get out of their chair, pick up the phone call and schedule an appointment with a financial advisor that they're not even sure that they want to come in and meet with and change financial advisors and do all the things that be necessary That's why a lot of times when financial advisors get a new client, it's somebody that has money in motion, which isn't a bad thing. But what if you could work with them before it became a crisis, before their husband passed away or before something happened that said, oh, my gosh, now I have to see a financial advisor, Uh, because before it just wasn't as urgent. It just wasn't important. And it seemed like kind of a a pain to do that until it wasn't Um, so the other thing that I want to share is is this idea of of referability if we don't have the right story there there's something in this industry that I call the big disconnect because your clients love you they know how awesome you are they know you've changed their lives you've helped them retire early buy a second home put the grandkids through college you know give all this money to a charity whatever it is you've helped change their lives. And so that's the client. The prospect that they refer to thinks that you're going to try to sell them something. And so in you got to break that disconnect because somehow your clients love you and know how great you are. and when they transition the message, your prospects think, I'm not sure. and they're skeptical and they think you're going to try to sell them something. And it's not every time. And I'm generalizing, but it's a lot of the time. And so that's part of the industry and just where the industry has, has gone and where it's been. And there's, you know, there's some unsavory characters in this industry as well. And it's given everybody a bad name. And so people are very um, skeptical when they come see a financial advisor. So we got to close that gap. We got to close that disconnect. And I've never seen it in any other industry. Physicians don't have that. I mean, no one else has that except for financial advisors.
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the even the term financial advisor is so confusing. Um, the amount of folks that don't understand the difference between a, a, an accountant uh, and, and a financial advisor or a insurance salesperson um, and a financial advisor, and technically they could be both, but they're not necessarily the same thing. You know you can wear multiple hats at different times but one hat doesn't necessarily necessitate the other hat then you know um those things can be be pretty pretty complicated so marybeth in, in trying to to close that gap obviously you you mentioned the online presence as table stakes because people are going to qualify you okay what is table stakes right now in 2023 it's the end of, end of June, 2023. What is table stakes right now?
0: Yeah, I would say that your bio has always been the most important thing. Because if somebody is getting ready to meet with you or considering to meet with you or thinking about meeting with you, they're going to go to your website. They're going to go to your LinkedIn profile. They're going to read about you. And this is where we can give them this little insight that you're the person that your clients love. Uh, and you've got to be able to talk more about just, I mean, a lot of financial professionals will go, I've got to set up my credibility. So I'm going to talk about how I'm a CFP and how I've done all these things and I've won all these awards. And it just, it almost accentuates the problem, in my opinion. We have to have that credibility, but they're not deciding to do business with you because you're a CFP. They're deciding to do business with you because they like you. And how do we get to that? And so we did we actually did for for biographies for financial advisors. We actually did a focus group and we had potential clients meet and read a bio from a financial advisor. And we did this in groups and then we did it individually. What do you remember from that bio that you just read? Big, long bio. Well, they get to the end of the bio and the financial advisor has a cat named Oscar and every single person remembered that he had a cat named Oscar. And we all were just, wow, okay," because that's the connection point. The connection point isn't that you manage a billion dollars. I don't even know how to get my arms around that, but. And and it is a credibility thing. And I'm not saying don't put those things in your bio, but don't leave out the personal side because that's the little secret that your clients know that your prospects don't, is who are you really? And the other thing that we've seen a lot of financial advisors starting to do are video bios. So giving your why, why do I do this? Why am I in this business? Why do I care about this? And uh, having a two minute video that goes into your why Makes a huge difference. And plus, video is like what seminars do. I I sit in the back of the room, I'm at the seminar because I want the free chicken, and I'm sitting back there and I see the guy up in front and I go, Why? I I actually kind of like him. He's kind of funny, and yeah, maybe I'll go meet with him. No intention to do that before you got there. That's why seminars work. But the same thing happens with video because you can see the person and you kind of get a feel for who that person is, and you don't need to be you know, funny or whatever. You just need to, this is who I am. And this is why I do this. And that resonates a lot more than all the rest of the things that we also have to have in our bios, but they're not as important as that personal side. Who is this person that I'm going to meet with? Because the secret doesn't come out until somebody has come in and met with somebody in their office. And then they go, oh, that's why you like him. I, I, I get it, right? Instead, what if they could get in on that little secret before they came into the office, before they decided to come into the office, or before they decided not to come into the office?
1: Yeah, this actually re- reminds me of. Um, so early in my career, I think, I, I think you know, I started my career at TD Ameritrade and um, as an advisor there. And I would at times um, refer clients to um, independent wealth management firms. And and clients that I was consulting with a TD, and it was interesting because I, I would get to know clients, and oftentimes I would know the advisor that would be best for them from a business standpoint. But I would I would kind of be running up against oh, I kind of feel like I know this guy as a guy, and this is this firm is everything he needs from a business standpoint. From a if this guy was purely rational, which we all like to pretend we are. Um, but instead I would say that we're all rationalizers, um, we, we do what we want and then how we do what we feel and then we rationalize it later and explain why it made sense. Um, and so I, I, I got to the point where I would talk to people about, Hey, you know, what, what's important and, oh, this is, this is, okay, well, what if you talk to a guy and he's like this, you know, his personality is this guy's more dry. He's, he's all these things you tell me you need. This is the personality that this guy is going to have. And he's probably not the guy that you're going to want to have a beer with because you and I have got this great rapport and we're joking around and we're talking sports, and that's not this guy. (laughs) But he's going to nail it in everything. But I'm telling you, you're probably not going to feel it with this guy, but he's going to check all the boxes. Is that okay? Are you going to do you need to feel it with someone? Because I'm not sure you're going to feel it with this guy, but I do believe he'd do a great job with you. Sure enough, get on the phone and make an introduction, talk to the guy afterwards. I don't know. I mean, yeah, this was good. This was good. I finally get down to it. So you just didn't feel it. Yeah. I don't know. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? I told you, you might not feel this and you told me that it wasn't about what you felt. It was about what they could do the business. And sure enough, it's like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. But if you don't have someone coaching you through that, like I was doing when I was investment consulting, then you're most likely to not feel it and then rationalize why this advisor is best for you and I think that that's one of the mistakes that we tend to make as advisors and probably a lot of folks in, in, in different industry is is we we try to be everything to everyone like what do you who do you need me to be I'll be that where in reality is if the worst thing I can probably be is unremarkable because then I blend in with everybody else. It's probably better that that I give you a chance to be like, that guy's not for me. Because the worst thing is, I don't know, he blended in with all the other guys.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because if you, um, it depends on how you ask survey questions of clients. Why did you choose this financial advisor? Because they're going to tell themselves the rational reasoning behind why they did it. He has a CFP. He's been in the business for a long time. Um, you know, I, I know some people that work with him. He, he seems like a good guy at the end of the day, you choose him and anyone else in your life that you're choosing for something that's really important because you like the person, because you tr- you feel like you could trust that person. This person's going to take care of my spouse. If I'm not here, I, like this person. And we, we don't like to say that because that doesn't sound like we've made a logical decision, but that's it. And I think that um, the more that financial advisors play into that, that, that you know, this is a relationship business. And so you've got to not only be really good as a financial advisor, uh, but you've got to be really good at the relationship side because they need that. If they didn't need that, they would just do it online by themselves, you know, there's so many tools that you can find online these days, uh, that will help you do all the things that a financial advisor do- does, but you don't get the relationship. And that's the part that a lot of financial advisors will overlook. Be- and you can see that by looking at people's bios. What you don't have anything personal in your bio? Are, are you married? Do You have kids? What's your, what's your deal? Right. Um, do you have a dog? What, what do you have? What, what's your, what do you like to do outside of the office? Because that's where we make a connection that's where we feel differently about somebody and that's why the cat named oscar was the biggest hit of the bio of which the financial advisor said absolutely no way are we putting that in the bio and i said absolutely we are and we're going to test it and we did and it worked um you know so and people people will go into his office today and meet with him and say you know so how did you name your cat oscar and so it's those kinds of things where you go oh They're even asking questions about it. And this is not important to the portfolio development. It's important to the relationship side, which is why they're choosing a financial advisor.
1: Yeah. And it's so anti against it. We, We don't even want to believe that because we've worked so hard for the things that we've worked so hard for. And yet, those things are the things that become table stakes and they become. I don't really know what that means. If, if, I'm not from that industry, you know, we what I mean, we're one of the few industries that has just a absolute alphabet soup of potential initials to go after our names. And the, you know, the, the I know the CFP board has spent a lot of money over the last few years to make sure people know that, but it's, it's still not extremely well known what that means. And, you know, we, we, we get education and we get licenses and all these things, but those things tend to just fly over clients' heads after a while. And especially if they're interviewing multiple advisors and if the other advisors are also qualified, you know, CFP versus a CFA, I like one of them better then I'm probably going <laughs> to lean towards his certification or designation more than others. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, stay on the the table stakes um, topic for a few more minutes. Um, you know, okay. So bio, you know, don't don't skip the bio. Be, it's not just about your qualifications and your certifications and number of years you've been doing it. Because by the way. Just because you've been doing something thirty years, you could be doing it poorly for thirty years. You could be below average for thirty years. <laughs> so, yes. You've you've managed not to get thrown out of the industry for thirty years. So I, that is one of the things that I think is interesting. And although I'm hitting a point in my career, I can actually start saying how long I've been doing it. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's interesting that we we put so much time and emphasis on number of years and not. Necessarily, quality of years, but what have you done
0: in those years? You know, like I don't care that you've been in the business for twenty years. What am I going to get out of that as a prospect? What am I going to learn from you? What am I going to gain from your twenty years? Well, and and so I'll give you an example of of this. Of you know, in twenty years, I've helped you know X amount of people successfully retire. Now that is is more important than just saying, I've been in the business for 20 years, I've been in the business for 20 years, and I've helped over 200 people successfully retire and stay retired, you know, or something like that. That's a, oh, okay, I see what you've done in 20 years, right? Um, as opposed to, well, I've been in the business, we have a, a large team that we work with at a warehouse. And the first time I met with them, I said, what's your value proposition? And this is the second table stakes actually is the the value proposition. I said, what's your value proposition? And they said, well, we have 250 years of combined experience. And I said, it just sounds like you guys are old. Like, how old are you guys? Like, what in the heck is going on around here? Like, no, that does not. I mean, I get why you would do that, but it just doesn't really spell out well, what did you learn in 250 years that you're going to trans transition to your to your clients? So I think it's it's just taking the same information and, and reusing it in a different way so that it becomes valuable to that prospect. It's benefit-driven as opposed to being a feature. A feature is 250 years in business. Um, a benefit is what is it going to do for me?
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot of humility in, in, in doing that. That's one of the things, if you're looking at your marketing and you're looking at your results, the only way, to, if you're not going to be humble about, about it, you're not going to get anything out of your time because that's the thing when you start inspecting what you're doing. It's kind of like before when I said, okay, everybody tells me they grow mostly by referrals, but that doesn't tell me anything about their numbers of, you know, I got re- two, re- two referrals last year and got one client out of it. And that's your number one source of growth is referrals. That's that's a little scary if that's your number one source and you, you got one last year um you know so and you're saying well obviously if you can't if you can't measure it then what does it matter you know um the online presence for the next level of, of table stakes we talked about bio we talked about um what else does an advisor have to have in order just to get those next level boxes checked Of or not not, not next level, but basic boxes checked of someone's um looking into me online what's the bare minimum table stakes as far as my as far as my I'm not. This is not. We're not even talking. talking about marketing yet. We're still a marketing support, <laughs> right? Right. Just having an updated
0: website, um, which sounds like well, of course we'd have an updated website. But there's a lot of advisors who are not thinking about their website. They put the website up, and three years later, they say, "I wonder if I should look into that website and see what's there." It's not like we're perusing our own websites every day, and it's also not like our clients are perusing our websites every day. Your website is for your prospects. Now you might, your clients might go there to get into their online portal or something, but they're not going in and reading your bio and looking around at your service proposition. Like they're not doing any of that stuff. What they're doing is um, simply coming to the site for something else. The prospects will come to your website and spend, and this is where it just sounds ridiculous, but a prospect will spend on average one minute and 35 seconds on your website in order to decide whether or not they are going to call you or email you or come into the office. This is after they've been referred. So what does that mean? It means that we've got to have our website cannot be filled with tons and tons of words that no one is ever going to read unless your target market is engineers. And then there's, it's a whole different story because we, we do work with some financial advisors that focus in on engineers and more technical related people and they have different expectations. But everybody else is going in, they're going to spend a minute and 35 seconds on your website looking at your homepage, your bio page, and then they might look around a little bit more. They're getting an impression. They're getting an impression in a minute and 35 seconds. And that impression includes, well, does it look like this is um, an up-to-date firm? And there are a lot of websites that I could go to right now and go, that's not up-to-date. They haven't touched their website in five to six years. you know. And you go, well, if they're not touching their website, I mean, what else are they not doing very well? They're they, It doesn't look like this is a firm that you should go to. And so you've got to meet your market where they're at. So if your market is 50-year-olds, what is a 50-year-old going to look for when they go to the website? If your market is a 35-year-old tech executive, what are they looking for? Two totally different things, right? If your market is 70-year-olds, what are they looking for? And so it also, part of it is to break down, this is where we get more into marketing, but break down who am I really targeting? And am I speaking in their language? Or am I just, we do financial planning and investment management for individuals and families and businesses? Or do you have something that really shows what it is that you do? Now, you're never going to be completely standing aside and no one else is like you at all, because it's just not going to be that way in financial services. But you can stand apart. And um, a lot of the the things that we've seen that really work on websites are authentic pictures of you and your team, as opposed to, you know, stock photos and things like that. And really having headlines and subheadlines and not a lot of text to get your, your point across. And I always think of the, the quote from Mark Twain. He said, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. It's really hard to write short. It's very hard to do that, to be concise. And we think that all of these things are important, but you have to hit what is the person who's coming to your site? What do they want? And do you have what they want? Now, what do they need? They need financial planning. They don't want it. They want what the financial planning is going to do for them or what the investment management is going to do for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, this, uh, this, this, He's talk about this a lot um, in advisors that just hone in on just diversification, diversification, just selling diversification um, as if it's, I hate to say this, but as if it's such a special differentiator. Um, I think that's table stakes, guys, uh, <laughs> at this point, you know, no, and, it's, it's not no, even... one, no one wants diversification it's not no one's it, no one wants that they want the benefit of diversification they they they. Uh, but they don't want the diversification they want what diversification provides them right no just like no one wants a pill no right. one you know no one wants a you know, a, a, a no one wants to, you know a, so many things you don't want but you want the benefit of it that makes a makes a lot of sense and i think you know the the main point that i take away from this um from the website discussion is um kind of answers the question or or what I tend to hear a lot is, well, I'm not getting clients from my website. Why invest in something that I'm not even getting clients from? And what you're saying is like, well, it might be preventing you from getting clients. So isn't that just as important? Um, Because this is where you're being qualified Uh, wherever you get this lead from, they're going to go to your website and um, a, point that was made, uh, I forget in the book I was reading it in, um, but, you know, people say that the first impression is the the most important. Well, here's the thing is you never really know when the first impression is going to happen because you never know the first time people really notice you, right? So just because people have seen you or been briefly introduced or they've heard of you, that doesn't mean that they actually had a first impression. You might not have made any impression at all, and that's okay because that that's not that 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 doesn't mean that you're uh, especially uninteresting. It it just means that people are people, and they've got and and when 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 they're focused on one thing, they can get tunnel vision and they don't notice other things. And you know, I'm like this when I go to the gym. Is the the ben- the thing I love about lifting weights is I can't do anything else while I'm doing that one thing. And when weight is on my back or, or or in my arms or whatever, is, I have to be 100% focused on that. And so much of the rest of the time, my mind is everywhere else. And it's going from one thing to another. And I'm an entrepreneur. And so I've got a million things going on. And here's this one time where I'm completely focused and uh, this is the way humans are and we like to be focused we like to get one thing on our mind and so we can miss so many things and then once we finally have this chance and that is they go to your website and this is the first impression doesn't matter that they heard about you before their friend told them about you or whatever and by the way their friend told them well he's got a you know this degree and he went you know whatever the random stuff that they throw together um that they remember about you and then they go to your website and it's 90 seconds of this is my first impression is that the first impression that you you want to give and that's just that's that's a that's a humbling idea Mary Beth. uh, when you think about well it's not bringing me web clients anyway probably a website can almost be a bigger risk than it is an opportunity because it's a risk before it's an opportunity that that's
0: exactly right and you know when i when somebody comes to us and says we need to bring on more clients we don't know how but we need to bring on more clients we always start at referrals and we ask about how many referrals are you bringing in and and how is that working and is it bringing in the right kind of clients because there's one of two problems immediately if someone is not bringing on enough business number one you're not referable Or number two, you are referable and something is stopping the people that have been referred. So if somebody says, well, I I know I'm getting referrals. My clients tell me they're referring all these people to me, but they never call. That's right. Now we know what the problem is. There is something that's, you know, that's stopping them from doing that. But in a lot of cases, in almost all cases, it's either one or two. Now, in a fast growing firm where they're bringing on lots of referrals and they want to bring on even more, that's a different story. But if you just say, I'm not bringing out of clients in financial services, it's usually one of two problems. And so we've got to fix one or we've got to fix two, or sometimes we've got to fix both.
1: Wow. Okay. We we have got it was talk there's been so much talk and we've not even gotten into actual marketing. So I'm gonna give you a, a minute or two. Is there anything else that, that we should know about just for absolute table stakes before we get into what's working for really generating more interest?
0: Yeah, I I mean I I think your LinkedIn profile is we haven't talked about it really, but that's it's the same as your website. It just has to be table stakes is good picture, good headline. Uh, you know, all your qualifications there and using your about or your summary section in, in LinkedIn to tell your story. Uh, and that's where you include parts of the bio in there. And that is just table stakes. It's nothing confusing. You don't need to spend a lot of money to do any of that stuff. That's just telling your story.
1: Okay. So let's, uh, let's, let's push for it. Imagine that, you know, I've, I've done some work on my bio. Um, I've, I've made it more personalized. I've done some work on my, web, on my website. It's it's up to date, my LinkedIn bio. So I've got the absolute bare bones minimum. Um, there's a million things I can do next to try to draw more attention in. First off, what's working right now? And then I'll follow it up in a few minutes with how in the world do I know which which what's going to work for me? So what's working right now?
0: So let's say that the target market is people that are getting ready to retire. So within that five years of retirement, there's a lot of people out there looking for those same people. And so what are you going to do? And one of the things is, and we've seen some firms do this really well is to create a marketing funnel, which means you're trying to get people interested in your firm with the content that you're putting out there. So maybe you're, you're, Posting on LinkedIn is typically the place. If you're still working, you're typically not on Facebook a lot. So you're on LinkedIn, you're posting things that might be interesting to them. So, for instance, we have a, a firm that focuses on aerospace engineers or those in the aerospace industry in general that are getting ready to retire. And so they post a lot of things about the state of the aerospace industry and what's happening with stocks and fluctuations and all this. And guess who's interested in that? People that work in that industry. And so they might read this report and then get on the email newsletter uh, or, you know, sign up for more information. Now they're in this funnel and we can start to do many other things with them, like have a webinar or, um, you know, record some videos that are on that topic, keeping them interested in what you're doing until such point that they decide, hey, I want to come in and see them. And in between, you're asking for that. You're asking for if you want to come into the office, if you want to meet us via Zoom or whatever it is. Um, But having that well-built out marketing funnel, which includes social media, includes calls to action, and it includes emails and sometimes it even includes phone calls, but it's, it's this combination of letting people on their own time, if you will, decide that they want to come in and see you. So hard sale out, uh, what's in is this, it's not really dripping because dripping, that's an old term for what we used to do, but it's really just keeping people interested in what you're doing. And that could be someone that was referred to you. Um, you know, it's building this list of people that are potential clients
1: for you so maybe I think with with these funnels you know this is kind of a question is you know if I'm um a larger uh, uh RAA or an independent advisor and I have the budget to just hire a team to create these things or um uh, that's that's very different than someone who's maybe solo or part of a smaller practice um is this something you typically see advisors doing themselves, or is this something that they need to hire out? Or how much time of a commitment is it to do something to put uh, a funnel together?
0: Yeah, there's ways you can scale it, basically. I mean, there are firms that use uh, in depth marketing software like Active Campaign and run these campaigns. Uh, and that's for larger RIAs. For an individual, Is all you need is four to five or maybe six emails that are already written out. Now you could pay somebody to do that, and then you've got them, and you can run them in a sequence through your, you know, your CRM or whatever. You put somebody in your list, and they get the sequence of emails, and that keeps you in touch with them. And if the emails are are well written, and you know, we work with a lot of writers. We have writers on our team. I write. We've got ways that you can do some of that heavy lifting with somebody else, and then executing it is really not that difficult with CRMs today and things like that. Um, But the key really is, is to build that prospect list. That's the key. And to have a list of people, even if you sent out an email newsletter once a month, it's better than nothing. And you can get, you know, a lot of the the funds um, have an email newsletter that you could buy into and white label. There are, um, you can write a custom email newsletter and have somebody write that for you for a couple hundred bucks a month or something. It's not, it's not hard to do it. It's a matter of, okay, do I see the value in keeping in touch with the people that are my prospects? And uh, you really have to You have to know that that's going to be something that will work. Now, if you've got three prospects, you're not going to do an email newsletter, right? But if you've got somebody, um, you know, if you've been building up people that you've got 100 people or 200 people or something like that that are on your prospect list, or you're using Sales Navigator inside of LinkedIn, you can build these and do this on your own. You do not need to hire a firm and spend thousands and thousands of dollars on any of the marketing that's really working today.
1: So, you know, one of the things that I think that we tend to do is, and we all know better, but then we just default to this habit, um, is we tend to think that we, sorry, each of us as an individual, that I am indicative of how people are. And so how how I do things is how other people do things. For example, um, when you hear something about social media, or emails or anything that's broadcasting anyway people will always tell you well I don't ever sign up for those things or they'll say well I sign up for tons of them I never opened any of them or I don't I'm not on social media or I don't care about social media or I don't it's always if I wouldn't do it then other people wouldn't do it and I think that in this case the situation it's you know this is one of the things that you went back to school to really learn how to really dig into this stuff and say, hey, is what I believe, is what I think actually true? Uh, or does the data suggest that I'm an out I could be an outlier. I could be nothing like everyone else. Or I could be, you know, or or it could just be that I only need this to work a certain percentage of the time. And maybe I'm the average person, but I only need it to work 20% of the time or 1% of the time or 0.1% of the time. So what does the data say about actual engagement with things like email campaigns and, and these lists that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, it absolutely works. And the more customized and focused you can make it, the more it works. Sounds pretty obvious, but the more it works. So if I'm uh, you know talking about a strategy that is going to Really help someone retire and stay retired, and it's one strategy. And I send this out to people that are getting ready to retire. It might be something that they're interested in. If I'm sending out like the market update for the for the week, people probably don't care nearly as much about that as something targeted to where they happen to be in life at the moment. And so, the more targeted we can get, the better off the better off it is. But uh, you know, it does work. It works, and I know it works because we get paid to help firms do it and they wouldn't keep hiring us (laughs) if it didn't work. But again, this is not something that you have to hire somebody to do. Um, you, You can hire a young person who knows how to navigate around social media if you've got the content written, which I wouldn't have maybe somebody really young write, get the content written that's focused to your target market. And if you build enough people and you've got this message that works you're not going to go backwards you're definitely not going to go backwards but it's the effort that it takes to start it that really makes people stop because they go ah i don't know i don't get any of business from my website or i send out these emails or whatever it is and it's just it's the wrong way to think about it because it is working and it, that's back to our first conversation like you know what what's actually working well, this is actually working. And if you try something and you use the best practice kind of things, it will work for you.
1: Yeah. And and there's I think it's easy to to start something and pronounce very quickly that it didn't work. And I like to think about these things in terms of there's hunting and there's farming. And, you know, hunting if I'm um you know, I, in, here in Texas, uh, we have lots of hailstorms. And if there's a hailstorm, you can bet in the next couple of days, you're going to get start getting knocks on the doors and flyers and, hey, let me inspect your roof. Okay. That's hunting, right? You're going looking for a client right now and you might you either get it or you don't, that's it. And so that's very satisfying because you know it immediately where there's other things that are much more that kind of what I call farming. And that's um, you know, When you think about farming, it's, okay, well, first you have to find some land and then you've got to prepare the soil, you know, you've got to ground up the soil, what's in the soil and prepare the soil, and then you've got to plant a seed and then you've got to water it, then it needs sun and whew, that's a, that becomes a long process. And after time, yes, you start getting a return on that, but it doesn't come for some time. And so, you know, we can we can think about these things in terms of it didn't work where, well, you didn't do it long enough. It's kind of like a diet, right? Um, I've been eating, riding, exercising for an entire week and nothing has changed, right? Well, you didn't do it long enough. And so it's hard to kind of, I think, so, it, it, to say, okay, when should I start actually expecting something like this to work you know and i think when you look at something like an email campaign it's well first of all if you've got to get over the fact that you're only starting with one name or 10 names and oh this is a lot of work for 10 names it's not a lot of work for ten thousand, obviously um but how do you what, what should be your expectations on putting together a funnel Uh, for for it to actually start producing something.
0: Well, you've got to always look at your metrics. And this is something that financial advisors don't really like to do either. Like I'm busy being a financial advisor. I don't want to be looking at how many people um, liked and shared my social media post. Right. Uh, But if you are really trying to reach others and you post something out there that gets no interaction at all, well, you're not... Obviously, it's not going to work. Right. But if you're starting to see you're getting interaction. okay, so we're on the right path. If you're not getting interaction, you need to change and go. I need to do something different in order to get there. But I want to take one step back, actually, because what I see and, and what we see as a marketing consulting firm is. We either get two people, two types of people that will come and want to work with us, those that are really successful and wanting to get to the next level and not sure how to do it, or those that are going, I just need to bring in more business. And we we really work hard to figure out, do you really want to bring on new business? Because there's a lot of people who don't want to do all this stuff, and that's fine. Because you're going to get some referrals, and you're going to make, you know, you'll have a lifestyle business, and it'll be great, and you know, all of that will be will be nice. You do a good job internally, you're going to get some referrals, and that's it. Do you really want to grow? Because if you really want to grow, that's a mindset, and if that's not your mindset, you won't stick with it long enough. I mean, you, you talk about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get healthier. I, I'm eating right, and I I worked out for a week well, that's really not going to do it. It's sort of a long-term, am I going to be someone who is going to focus on growth in my practice or am I really not committed to that? Because there's other things that you can do if you're really not committed to that. You could start asking for referrals in a different way um, or you know things like that. But if you want to really branch out and really serve more people, you've got to be committed to the cause.
1: Yeah, and that that really is, I mean, using the... the... health thing is you you have to have a lifestyle change you know i i saw a snippet of an interview with uh, arnold schwarzenegger and he was he was talking about his workout routine is this is what he does and they say yeah you're 75 years old what do you he's like this is my lifestyle this is what i do and one of the keys to his long longevity but you know i think that there's a um it's almost like that that mindset is we'll try it and it's like well this is not something you try you know you you try a new soft drink you try a new (laughs) brand of socks or something like that but this is something that's only going to work if it's if there's a if there's a commitment there and you know I with, with stuff like this I always am reminded um there's a scripture uh, in the Old Testament, Zechariah 4.10, that says, despise not the days of small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And it's those, it's those sorts of things that I have to think of this as it's a small beginning and that's okay, but the small beginning has to keep going and it's not going to be successful if it's just something that I've tried. It is This is building a program um, that must be tended to. And I think that I like your question about, you know, do you really want to grow? Because if you say, do you want to grow? What you're really saying is, uh, are you ready to change?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: That's right. Because there's something you're, we're not just going to, you do nothing different. And that nothing is, no change is required of you. And you're going to close more business, get new clients. Something is, what are you willing to do differently? And I think that's probably, you know, the one of the biggest things that keeps people from, you know, you can say, I want more clients, I want to grow, but then there's no change that's, that's willing. I'm not willing to spend money or I'm willing to spend money, but I'm not willing to do anything differently myself. I'm not willing to con- contribute to that. And, why even spend the money if you're not willing to to, to to change something yourself in order to get change? Change is always required. It never comes. Um, a change in results never comes from a change in inputs or, or no change in inputs. Excuse me.
0: Well, well and, and it's hard work. Um, you know, I, I had a client that said, well, you know, maybe I should just buy leads. Okay, But guess what you have to do when you get those leads come in? You've got to be the first one to respond. You have to have your emails ready to go. You've got to, you know, make a phone call immediately, send out a text, whatever it is. Like, it's not for, you know, it's not just because you are buying leads that all of a sudden it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And I think one of the problems is, like, the difference between uh, financial advisors that are much more seasoned, been in the business and see a lot of success. And those that are starting in the business is that you look at this this person who's more seasoned and you say, wow, it looks kind of easy because they have 400 clients who refer to them all the time. And it looks easy, but Trust me, you talk to that person, and when they were in the the shoes of the younger person, it was a hard slog getting to where they're at. Um, It's not easy. I've had advisors say, well, what I'll just do is I'll buy a practice, and that'll make it easy to grow the business. And of all the things, it's probably the easiest way (laughs) because you buy a practice. Now, yeah, you've got to talk to all these new clients and do all of that. But if you want to grow your assets quick, the return on investment is not always really immediate, but you're going to build those assets and those assets are, are what is the value of your business. So um, that's one of the easiest ways to do it. And that's not marketing.
1: Yeah. And we don't like to talk, we don't like to talk about uh, doing things well. We talk like to talk about doing things is, well, we tried that. It didn't work for us. It's like, well, maybe you didn't do it well. <laughs> maybe, maybe your execution sucked. <laughs> right. Cause we've seen other people do
0: it and it worked great for them. So yeah. And, and a lot of times it's it's lack of effort. And and by the way, it goes both ways. We've had lots of advisors say, oh, I used to do that. Why'd you stop doing it? I don't know. It was really working well. And they got so busy, they stopped doing whatever it was that helped them be successful. And that doesn't make any sense either. But that's sort of human nature. I just got so busy. We stopped running those seminars or we stopped sending out those emails or we stopped advertising on Facebook or LinkedIn. We just we stopped. Uh, because it's, it worked so well. And then they wonder why they're not getting more business because
1: they stopped. So what else is working? We talked about funnels.
0: So if you're really a pro- if you really are interested in prospecting, LinkedIn sales navigator is the best. Because LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and for those that don't know, it's the paid, it's one of the paid versions of LinkedIn, but it allows you to really dig deep and search and find people that could be prospects and keep a prospect list in your sales navigator that is not, they don't know you're looking at them. And you can keep this prospect list and then you open up your, uh, your sales navigator in the morning and you say, oh, this person changed jobs, this person had a birthday, this person just posted. And you can comment and you can make, you know, you can all of a sudden reach out to these people, connect with them, do all the things that you want to do to start to be more relevant in in their world, in that space. Uh, We had, during COVID, we had an advisor that focused on one area of the marketplace. And that one particular area, he decided he's going to do um, he's going to do LinkedIn, he started with Navigator, but that's where he found the people to invite them all through LinkedIn to a webinar um, specifically for those people that were being displaced and worked at this one particular company. And literally, he was able to find all of the details in LinkedIn, connect with them because people say you get to connections in LinkedIn. And he was able to run webinars and find new business in the middle of COVID when people said, you get your business from the people in your backyard. You do not get business from people Across the country. And he proved out that you can do that by just having a good strategy. I think the best thing though that that really works, we've got sales navigator, we got emails, we've got social media, we've got, you know, all of these different things that can work, seminars, videos. Uh I would say that being in a niche, and I don't mean that you have to be in one niche, but being in a niche with focused messaging is the most, is the quickest way to getting someone to say, this is the right place. I need to make this phone call and get in touch with them because you're speaking their language. So if you're working with people in healthcare or you're working with people that are executives or that are female executives or that are, you know, divorce attorneys or as as specific as you can possibly get, um, you can develop messaging for them. We have a a it's a RIA firm and they've got, I think, 15 advisors. They have nine different niches and they're all on their website and they list out their niches and you go, well, that's too many niches. It's not because if I fit into one of those niches, business owner, I'm going to click on that one and go, oh, this is all they do for business owners. This is great. Um, They've got a special blog for business owners, you know, so it's, it's being more focused as opposed to being a generalist um, works and again people people don't want to be in one niche like I don't want to say that I only work with physicians when, I, I, w- I will work with other people. You don't have to say that you work only with physicians, but if you love working with physicians, you better have a message that works with them because their issues are different than an executive's issues or somebody who runs their own business or somebody who you know is owns a manufacturing firm. Whatever it is, like those things are very different, and especially as it relates to their financial services, there's things that are the same, but there's a lot of things that
1: are different. Got it. You know, we talk we, um, we hear we talk about social media a lot, and that's something that you you hear and you we all see the guys and gals that are very well known on social media, and I some of them I assume that's translating to new business. Some of them I I know they're doing very well with new business. I don't know if it's because of social media, um, and then I see some that I, that seem pretty that I would assume are very well known and. You check their ADV and it, it's there's not a lot of business there and somehow it's not translating. So how do we decide whether social media is for us? And when I say social media, I'm saying, you know, actually posting on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or even, even a TikTok, uh, Facebook How do we determine you know whether that's that's for us? And I mean beyond, by the way, the I well we have a a firm you know Facebook page and we you know we post Happy Father's Day on the you know and we post when we when we volunteer at the Special Olympics and we post you know this just basic stuff that honestly no one cares about. Um, I mean it's nice to see, but no one's following you to see your Flag Day post. You know, if you're not adding value in your posts, then, you know, you're going to get your family and friends. And, and there's, there's incredible f- firms that are extremely well run and do great business with 31 followers on their Facebook page. Because, again, all they ever post is Happy Mother's Day and Happy Thanksgiving and that sort of thing. But so I'm talking about, you know, how do I know if I should actually spend real time besides just the presence so someone can see you have a page? How should I know? If I should spend real time and, and, and what strategies are effective?
0: I would say that typically if you see somebody who's active on social media and they're a financial advisor and they're actually getting interaction with their social media posts, because most financial advisors, they post the things that their firm's allow them to post and they get no interaction from that, but they think they're doing social media, which they're not, they might as well post happy flag day, right? Because nobody is interacting with that at all. So what, um, but most of the people that are having success on social media, meaning that you look at their profiles, you look at their posts, they're getting engagement. You go, they're, they're actually doing social media pretty well. That's likely not the only thing they're doing. That is likely one of the things that they're doing. They're also probably getting a lot of referrals. They're probably doing things in the community. They're probably active networkers, they're probably um, doing COI referrals and, and getting significant referrals from you know other professionals. They're likely not just doing social media and that's where marketing is more difficult than it's ever been before because it used to be we do seminars and we win. And now it's it's just not enough. You've got to be in touch across many different platforms and many different ways of marketing. And you don't have to spend a lot of money or spend a lot of time doing it. But for those that you're seeing are having success, it is very likely not the only thing they're doing.
1: Understood. Uh, it, if I was, uh, if, if someone is considering doing doing Twitter, um, for example, we'll just use Twitter as an example. What have they got to do? What, 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 what would one have to do to make Twitter worth doing as an example, or, or you can use LinkedIn or any of the ones you want to use, but I'd like to have some specific example of what would you have to actually do on Twitter to make it worth, worth actually doing in your opinion? What is it? What what does it actually mean to do it? Not just repost whatever your firm gives you, but what would it actually require of you?
0: So let's, let's start with Twitter. So the first thing that I would say, if you said, well, I want to really use Twitter as a way to get new clients. okay, so I would ask you what kind of clients, who is your ideal client? And then I would say, are they on Twitter? Because if they're not actively on Twitter, you could be great at Twitter, man. You could be posting all these crazy things about all this stuff going on. But are your prospects on Twitter? And that's the thing like people think, oh, well, I got to be on Facebook. Well, if you're working with retirees, yes. Or if you're working with women, they're more likely to be on Facebook. But, you know, otherwise you're, you're spending a lot of time in one place that your people don't exist. If you're still working and you're not a physician because physicians are not on LinkedIn, but if you're still working and you're not a physician, you're probably on LinkedIn at some point in some way. And so, First, it's picking the platform, and then it is figuring out what is going to engage and putting together a content calendar of actual engagement type um, posts. So, I'll give you an example. We have a Morgan Stanley advisor and. She is super successful. Uh, She really wanted to get into social media. So she started using their firm's posts and she was getting no interaction. So she won this big award at at Morgan Stanley. And so she puts um, a picture of the cake that her staff got her and she holds up the award. And it's a picture of her saying, I got this award. And she posts that to LinkedIn and she literally got hundreds of comments and likes and, and all of this stuff. And new clients, two new clients. She went to Harvard. She connected with somebody that was that she went to Harvard Business School with that she hadn't talked to in twenty years, and it was that post. And so it was like the lights went on. It's like, well, what is going to interest other people? Because most people are not necessarily interested in the latest and greatest market thing. You know, you look at what's interesting on TikTok, for example. I would not suggest TikTok for financial advisors, but um, you know, TikTok. What What is attractive about TikTok to people? Well, if it's entertaining, if it's interesting, if it's something you haven't seen before, if something that makes you laugh, it's the same principles, but more in a business sense for, for LinkedIn. If you're going to post something, it better not be something that is just... You know, just a stock photo and some words about you know retiring is easy or something, whatever, right? So it's how are you going to connect with people? It's the personal side. It's what we talked about before with the bio. It's the personal mixed with the business that is interesting to people and that people will connect with and and will react to. Um, and so it's it's the same thing on Twitter. It's the same thing on TikTok. It's the same thing on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, all of the different places is the more it's personal, the more connection you'll get with that. And it's pretty obvious if you look at the things that are liked and not liked, for instance, on LinkedIn, um, you've got to have the right message for the right market that's interesting. And most of the time, the posts that we think are, we're doing social media are not interesting to anybody. And that's a big, actually, social media tells you exactly what's happening. If you post something and nobody likes it, shares, clicks, does anything, you go, I'm, I'm on the wrong path here. And I know I have to change. It's not like I wonder why this isn't working. It's not working because nobody's looking at it. Um, if you want it to work, it has to be something that's engaging, something that is, and I don't mean to be that it has to be provocative, but provocative works a lot better than, you know, boring 101. The market went up today, you know?
1: Yeah. Again, humbling. When you think when you think of it that way, and I think that's why that you know the balancing this idea of hey, you know, you're not there's a one in probably ten million chance you're going to go viral on your first post, probably worse than that, and you know uh, we do there is more to it than than just interest. There's also algorithms. You know, if you're new to posting and you just make a post today and only seven people see it and if you're lucky if one out of seven likes it, right? And so there is this sort of consistency enough to start actually being seen and showing up in people's algorithm and they're showing up in people's feed and things like that. And so there's this, this, that's why you said, I think that the metrics are so important is you know you can't expect to go why well, i posted i must i must have done it wrong cuz i didn't get x number of likes and comments and reposts and things like that well are you trend that you got to do it long enough to where you can see is is there a trend in the right direction because you're not going to go from 0 to 100 uh, overnight or over over one week and i think that's one of the biggest challenges is even if you're self aware and knowing well this is not working is you know, there has to be a, a patience to it that you're mixing with with some humility is, okay, I understand that this is not great, but it's getting better.
0: Yes, but I think, you know, there's so much immediate feedback from social media that we know whether something is on track or not on track. And if, you know, with the content calendar that you might create, what what we like to say is, you know, put in the content calendar what you just posted and then what the results were. And those are easy things to find. You just plug those numbers in and then you can look back and go, well, that got a lot of engagement. Maybe I should do something like that again. And it's almost always something where you're giving your personal perspective, where you are um, involved in whatever it is, as opposed to you posting something that is not has nothing to do with you. It's like going to a networking event and not really being there, right? You're going to the networking event, but you're not really there. Um, but you threw some brochures around and you think that's going to work. And it doesn't work.
1: Right. Humbling, humbling. Uh, marketing is always humbling. You <laughs> marketing think about is humbling. So, you know, speaking of, speaking of humbling, you know, like we 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 talked about, you know, there's having to con- uh, continually reinvent oneself. What are some of the maybe what's a f- a thing or two that you've learned in the last couple of years as you know, as you've? Uh, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but mentioned this before. But uh, Mary Beth is also a professor, associate professor of marketing at Oklahoma State uh, University, and uh, she's very involved in the athletic department, especially with. Um, NIL, which is the name, image, likeness. And she has been in, on the forefront, uh, really of, of, of help, helping athletes understand marketing, personal branding. And so, you know, you've seen some of these things being done and helping college athletes learn to market themselves and brand themselves better. Uh, I know you've got a brand squad that you're working with to help, help these young folks learn to to put these things into, into practice. And so what's, what are, what's a thing or two that you've learned through working with maybe, maybe it's through the NIL at the school, maybe it's through your own research, but what's been maybe an aha moment from the last few years that maybe kind of struck you by surprise or, caused you to say, I got to reconsider that because the world's changing?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, and this is a little bit off topic, but I'm going to answer the question because um, when I started as a professor, I I didn't even really want to start being a professor yet. I thought that was going to be my second career, and I wasn't really ready to have my second career yet because I'm still working in financial services, I still have a business. I've got a team and all of that, and I, I really wasn't ready to start teaching, but when I got the opportunity to do it, I thought, if I want to keep myself young in marketing, teaching young people marketing, I mean, how, what better way to do that, right? I mean, if I really want to say that I know about marketing, I've got to be on the cutting edge of what's coming. And they'll we see what's coming because the students in the classroom are using these things when they're not in the classroom um, and sometimes when they are in the classroom. But the thing that surprised me the most was when I got to Oklahoma State, I, I figured that people would pay attention like financial advisors pay attention when I'm doing a presentation. They're there, they're interested, they want to know what I'm going to talk about. And the students looked at me like, What is she going to talk about? And I saw it immediately. I was like, uh oh, like no, they're, they don't want to pay attention. They, because I teach the principles of marketing, which is the core class in marketing. And so this idea of how do you be engaging is the same thing we were talking about with social media and with your bio, you're, you're going to engage in a different way than maybe we think they're not going to just pay attention because you're a professor. That's, that's obviously that's not the case. And so um I really did a lot of uh, looking into what makes a professor engaging. And it's not about me, it's about if they're not paying attention, they can't learn. And if they're not learning, then why am I even doing this, right? So um, in interest leads to engagement, engagement leads to learning. And ultimately, we've got to have all of those things. So it's the same principles of social media. But when I started this brand squad, I have members of the marketing club that um, that I'd known for several years. and um, NIL comes about and I go to the marketing club, which I'm the advisor of, and I say, how many of you guys want to help me help our student athletes with this name, image, and likeness and getting their social media profiles set up and helping them navigate business deals and all of this kind of stuff? And 50 hands went up and I thought, what? What? you know, all of a sudden I had all these engaged people. To this day, I get texts in the middle of the night from my brand squad students going, I have a great idea for a student athlete to do this. And I have never seen passion like this before. I've never seen it. Um, they're not getting paid a cent and they're helping their school, they're helping the student athletes. They're so involved and they love it. And they're getting jobs in, in you know sports marketing, which are really hard jobs to get. But I think it comes down to what's been the most amazing thing is engagement is really, really hard. And in order to get engagement of anybody, whether you're on social media, whether you're in front of a classroom, whether you're you know trying to put a club together, it has to be something that's interesting to them. And in the college environment, sports is interesting. And marketing seems to be not nearly as interesting as sports is. But if you can combine the two, it's like a home run. And that's why, if we can combine business and personal on our social media posts, it's a home run because you've got the credibility talking about the business stuff. That's what you do. And you got the personal side that is more interesting. And now you've got that secret sauce to engagement, but engagement is the most difficult thing. And it, it'll be the thing that I continue to learn about all the time. We do research on it. We try to figure out why students get engaged in one situation and not in others, but find something they love or that they're really passionate about already, mix some education in it. And I, I say to people, um, I was just speaking to, a a conference of uh, professors. And I said, you know, I feel kind of like I'm tricking them into learning. Like I've kind of done a bait and switch, like, hey, sports marketing stuff. And then they're actually learning all the stuff that I'm teaching them in the classroom live and they love it and they don't feel like they're learning. And so it's got to be that this, this idea of engagement is is something that financial advisors need. Um, everybody needs, right? And I'm not talking about being charismatic. I'm talking about having the pieces that equal that that form into this. Wow, this is this is engaging. I want to stay in touch with this. I want to look at this person's email again. I'm I'm interested in this, and that's hard, but it's worth it.
1: Yeah, this this reminds me um, of a guy I knew years ago, and he Oklahoma guy, OU guy. And he was an engineer and had owned a business. I kind of, uh, engineer had owned a business and sold it. And um, in his fifties, he's retiring and gets bored quickly and decides that he wants to teach high school. So he goes and teaches uh, shop class, and he has these kids, these guys that are uninterested and they're goofing off. And a lot of them have, have gotten there because they don't when they're not. I'm not going to college. That type of attitude, and so he takes them into the into the uh, automotive center and basically gets them all excited about this car and with the you know putting I guess rims on it or something like that. And well, he's got the wrong size rim, can't do it, and he gets them all interested in fixing this car and putting these things on it. And then he says, "Okay, well, we can't just start cutting. We got to." Got to do this right. Right. And so he takes them now that they're all engaged and yeah, we're going to get to cut and paste and do all these things in this car and make this thing go. Then he takes them into the classroom and starts teaching them (laughs) trigonometry because they've got to be able to. But he's doing it in the context of not just learning this, but, well, you got to do this because in order to do X, you've got to do this that comes before X and then we can do X. And now he's got them. And then it's, well, as soon as you've proven you can do this, then you can go into this situation where we're doing this custom, whatever. I can't speak the language of automobiles like that, but it was just shocking of the, of, of, well, once I've got you engaged, once I've got you on the hook with something that's interesting to you, um, then I can move forward into actually teaching you, but it's not the, 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 the financial concepts and things like that, that we want to lead with education is not necessarily the thing that's, that, that that's um, it's most interesting. It's going to drive engagement. Like,
0: and I'll give you an example of this. And I love that, that example of, you know, you're, he's basically tricking them into learning, yeah. right? He's, he's it's, it's a passion first and Oh, by the way, you're going to learn all this stuff, but it doesn't feel so painful like that. Right. Um, but, you know, if you've got a situation where somebody is is really, really interested, it's just, it's a win. And I don't know if, uh, you know, in financial services, um, an example I can think of is retire early. So this is, and there is a whole secondary com- community of people that want to retire early. They have an acronym and it's all of this stuff but they're very passionate about doing very specific things in order to be financially independent and retire early. That is not retirement 101, save more money, do this. It's like, no, 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 no. I got my eye on the prize. I want to retire when I'm 45 years old. And so these are all the things that I'm going to do. And you're passionate about the end goal or something but you're baiting and switching them into actually saving more money because they want to do whatever that end goal is and so retiring early is is one thing that I think of as it relates to all of this you know tricking them into doing things but if the end goal is strong enough or if the passion is big enough then then we'll do all sorts of crazy things you see what sports fans do i mean they I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. Some of us, not me, um, might wear a cheese head. Who is going to wear a cheese head? I mean, that's a ridiculous look, right? But people do that because that's how passionate they are. Like, I'm wearing a cheese head today. Wow. You know, but that's what people do when they're really passionate. They will do things that they otherwise ordinarily wouldn't do. And if we can bring passion into the financial services practice more, I think we would find that we would be able to ignite some other things. Awesome.
1: Um, staying on, on the, on the topic before we wrap up, uh, just w- with, with, social media, um, if someone is kind of doing a quick audit of their own social media and saying, you know, what, what should I be looking for is saying, okay, I've, I've tried to do social media. I'm going to review my, my posts. What would be first off, what do I review? And then what would be my next steps if I needed, maybe I needed coaching or I needed help or I needed, what what would be my next, my audit, what does my audit look like? My initial audit of myself. And then if I'm looking for help, where do I go for help?
0: So I would start with an audit um, and I would look number one at who are you connected to? So for instance, on LinkedIn, who are you connected to? If you're a financial advisor and 80% of your connections are other financial advisors, you're never gonna get any good engagement. And so start unfollowing or you know getting rid of some of those connections because that's not built. Be- it's like going to a networking event with people who do exactly what you do. Well, you're not going to find any new clients there. Um, so get number one, look at who you're connected to. And sometimes if we're not engaging, it's because the people that we're trying to engage are not connected to us. So number one, who's on your list and who should be? Who should be connected to you. And so then you can figure out, well, I need to go in and start connecting with people in my community, people that are active in my community, people that are working in jobs that would be great, ideal clients for me, doing things like that. That's number one. Number two is you look at what you've posted in the past, if you have posted, and what kind of interaction have you gotten on your post and what's the difference? So if you post one and you got a lot of you know, interaction on that post, what happened? What, what was it about that post? And if you had something that didn't get any interaction or multiples that didn't get any interaction, it's going to be pretty obvious what, what the difference is because there's nothing that connected to anybody else. It's saying like, I don't know if you've ever done this. Like if you send an email to somebody that, you know, it's a personal email, somehow we know that that's a personal email. But if I put that same person on a list and send them a bulk email somehow they know that that's a bulk email too, because they're just tone different. They're just phrase, the phraseology is a little bit different. And I could, you know, send an email to a friend and they'll respond to me right away, put that same friend on my email list. And they're not going to go, they're not going to respond to me immediately because they're going to know that that wasn't for them. It was a general email. So we want to make sure that it's Targeted to the kinds of people that you want to focus on. So the audit is number one: look at your list. Number two: figure out what what where have you gotten interaction, or have you not gotten interaction in the past? The third thing I would do if you're not getting a lot of interaction is look at people that are. Look at those that are getting getting interaction, and what's the theme? What's the You know, why why do you think they're getting that interaction? And it's probably not because they have a lot of followers. It's probably because they have a message that's engaging to those followers. So that would be the third thing that I I would think about. And then from there, you start to figure out, well, I need to connect with more people that would be in my ideal client zone. And then I need to start posting things that would be interesting to them. And uh, I often use... For my own, you know, working with financial advisors, we will take a look at what is engaging. What do we think is going to be engaging? What are events that you're attending in the next couple of months? What are things that we could be posting? And we really try to think in advance and think through what those words are going to be in that post and what that picture is going to be. So we get the right picture and we get the right whatever it is so that we're able to be more engaging. Personal posts with a business twist work a lot better.
1: That's good. Personal post with a business twist, that, and I think we probably tend to think of it opposite as my business post, and can I somehow personalize this? Maybe as an af- afterthought. Right. I, that one I've got to. I've got to write that one down. Personal post <laughs> with a business twist. That yes. is. Uh, that's a strong thought. It's it's simple. It's yeah. very simple, but I think it's easy to run over something like that as. Yeah, yeah, I got it. No, I think I need to think about that one a little bit. How can you have a a, a truly personal post that has a business twist to it beyond just my team and I are volunteering at this thing right. today?
0: Right. Yep. Yep, absolutely.
1: Awesome. Well, Mary Beth, I, I plan to talk to you for an hour and it's been an hour and a half already. I think I could have gone for easily four before I took a, came up for air, but... uh Uh, I really appreciate you being on the show today. For those of you tuning in, um, where can people find out more about uh, you, Mary Beth, and and your business?
0: Yeah, so uh, you can go to my website, which is redzonemarketing.com. And from there, you can get to my Instagram, my LinkedIn, but uh, Mary Beth Kosmeski, which is hard to spell, easier to go to redzonemarketing.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your insight today, Dr. Kizmeski. It's been a pleasure. And for those of you tuning in, please give us a like, comment, uh, share all those good things. We appreciate you. And until next time, bye-bye.